This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Tim Huckabee. How are you doing, Tim? Great, Ed. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Now, Tim is a Microsoft's global regional director and an industry veteran. Uh, Tim has led many development teams and architecture teams at Microsoft and presented on stage in keynotes with Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer. Uh, Tim has had a long career with Microsoft, stretching over 25 years. And today, Tim is working as chair, uh, chairman and co-founder of Internology. So Tim, that's what we're going to talk about today is Internology and some of the amazing things you're working on there. So what can you tell us about what you're doing today? Well, firstly, let's back up to that glorious introduction you did of me. Um, yeah, I have some gray hair. Uh, and yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been working for with Microsoft for Shoot, almost 30 years now, but mostly as a hired gun. When I was a young man, I worked on some server product teams in the in the 90s. Um, since then, uh, not as an employee, mostly as a hired gun. And in Internology, of course, actually, we're not supposed to say this, but Internology builds a lot of Microsoft software for sure. So what have I been working on? Is that what the question was? Um, what are you up to these days? Well, my passion is computer vision. Um, you know, we were chatting earlier about machine learning because, you know, that's that's kind of your thing. And, and really, machine learning has changed our lives. It, it's most certainly changed my life uh, because the things a computer can recognize today, we just couldn't even try to do a couple years ago. Even simple facial recognition, which is now a solved problem, by the way. There's no, there's no issue anymore with facial recognition. We can do it with commodity cameras in Azure, cloud-based, in, inexpensively. It's, it's just a solved problem. But so my, so now I've moved on to because we, we use a lot of facial recognition technology in, in a lot of the software we build. But now I've moved on to recognizing objects, and that's that's a much bigger challenge. But the the more that Moore's law continues to execute, Moore's law being that 60-year-old self-fulfilling prophecy that basically says computers are going to double in capacity or CPUs are going to double in capacity. And since Moore's law has been in execution for over 60 years, we've got these just wildly powerful computers, the CPUs, and they live in the cloud. And it's allowed some of those geniuses in machine learning to train models to recognize common objects. Now, we can't let a blind man see just yet. That would require the recognition of everything that exists in the universe, right? That we're not there yet, but we're on a collision course for it, maybe a decade, 15 years from now. So yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing these days. So when you're talking about Moore's law contributing to this whole computer vision thing. Is that kind of the only thing that's kind of propelled it so quickly? Because we, we didn't hear about machine learning and AI so much, even though it's existed for, you know, about 60 plus years, uh, at least the concept of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, 2000s hit and this thing just starts ramping up like crazy. Is that all because of processing power? Is there some other new technology or software involved that's making that accelerate the way it well, is? Yeah, in my opinion, it's, it's always going to be a combo of hardware and software. And, and the hardware folks tend to lead us software folks. And we kind of catch up in yearly or, or two, two yearly type of, of, um, of time frames. But in all honesty, you know, machine learning has, has existed, like you say, like you said, I mean, neural networks and smart systems and all that for 30 years. It's just we never had the machine power inexpensively. That that combo is is key, right? The the CPU power plus doing it cheaply. We've never had that until the last couple of years. So that's facilitated all these smart software folks to build machine learning platforms 
that allow computers to see. It's it's just amazing that we've had these, you know, brilliant computer scientists in the industry for years. And it's like they just needed this processing power and, and you know, larger memory pools to be able to pull this kind of cool stuff off. But that knowledge has always been there and it's like just waiting to be tapped. And, uh, and now we're seeing like this exponential like increase in uh, these machine learning things like uh, computer vision and um, predictive analytics and all that stuff just taking off like wildfire. Anomaly detection. There, there's just so many use cases. And and I, as you casually mentioned, I stand up in front of audiences all the time and and just wrapping your arms for, for an everyday engineer or developer, wrapping your arms on what the hell machine learning is can be intimidating, right? But the beautiful mm-hmm. thing about this whole revolution is that to me, and, and maybe not to you, Ed, because you're, you're fairly deep in machine learning, but to me, assume that I'm a common developer, machine learning is nothing more than a rest call, which means I can call it from any platform. Right. If I want to do facial recognition, all I have to do is send a frame of video or a picture to a REST API and it comes back with um, this machine learning thing on the other side, which might be Microsoft's face API in cognitive services. It comes back with all this information about the picture. It does everything for me. And, and that's where I think the power is, is giving the common developer the power of machine learning so he or she can do it easily with a freaking rest call. I just think that's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing that we've seen this incredible growth. And at the same time, we've managed to build these abstractions that you're talking about to make it easy for any software developer to pick this stuff up and use it. It's, it's just exciting times, uh, with, especially with build um, in the near future coming up. And we're, we're going to be seeing some new stuff there, I'm sure, around all of this. So we're totally. With I, that I'm said, working like, directly with the Microsoft Cognitive team, you know, in the, and they sit in the AI mm-hmm. group. And come build time frame, which, shoot, that's coming up quickly, right? We're in. Yeah, that's just a, few, a couple, three months away. They're going to make yeah. some jaw-dropping announcements. <laughs> it's it's going to be crazy. It's going to be the press is going to go wild when when Microsoft makes all these announcements because they've been. Um, okay. It's not like they've been under the hood for a long time, but there's a lot of really smart people working on a lot of interesting projects in that artificial intelligence group in Microsoft. So yeah, I mean, we tend to say this every year, right? It's it's just a great time to be a developer, but it really is. <laughs> this year it really is. Yeah, there's there's so many tools that we have at our disposal these days. It's, what there were they were science fiction fiction just uh, ten years ago. Absolutely, which means you know we've got more power than we could ever dream of. Which means you know we need to be responsible with as developers. We need to be responsible with some of this technology because let's face it, we have enough power to do bad things. Um, so, you know, pretty much every keynote I do has some component of, of being responsible with this power. Yeah. I have a talk that I give that's, that's kind of based on all of that. And it kind of has this, um, message of like, just don't be creepy. You know, (laughs) that's, that's the contract you need with your users. Just don't be creepy. (laughs) Don't do the targeted ads. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you remember the, the old target thing from, uh, when, machine learning stuff kind of first hit the news in a bad light, but the, um, the big box store, uh, target had an ad campaign that they were using. They were doing some kind of, uh, pattern recognition on user behaviors and purchases. And they found out this teenage girl was pregnant and, uh, they started sending, uh, coupons and whatnot to the the house and dad, dad got a hold of the coupons and then called up target and was like all right target this isn't cool you know you're you're sending all these ads to my daughter you're encouraging her to have a baby and they're like wait a minute wait a minute we we have to break some news to you yeah it, it, <laughs> she she already is pregnant that's and a famous and the story like, of course okay. from a few years back but you know um well, we're, the, the, the world has changed a lot since then, and audience measurement mm-hmm. is huge. And there's this giant lawsuit 
of you know Facebook and Google versus the U.S. government. Actually, it's the other way around. The U.S. government versus Facebook and Google on on basically on privacy law, uh, because the way privacy law is written right now, if my wife tags me in a Facebook post, that breaks privacy law because I haven't given her permission to put my name to a face on a public website. Uh, so we, we're, we're in that we're in that pickle by which the U.S. government can't keep up with technology and um, audience measurement is real and not maybe not my demographic, the old white guy demographic. But there is a millennial demographic that will absolutely agree to be tracked in a retail scenario if they get a 40 percent off coupon. I mean, that's the way the world is going. So that that creepy dystopian view of Target or whoever it was, Kmart, you know, figuring out that people are pregnant. I mean, that's happening today. That's that is absolutely happening today all over the world. I mean, even in, in one of my companies, we're we're even guilty of in an opt in scenario. If beautiful white people are drinking champagne in the digital advertising and Asians walk in front of it, it turns to beautiful Asians drinking champagne. The CPGs of the world find that wildly effective in an upsell. And, and it is. <laughs> it is. But it is bordering, if not over the creepy line. I totally agree with that. You, you wouldn't. I, we can't talk about them on your show, Ed, but you wouldn't believe the stuff we get asked to do that we, we have to say, no, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that breaks privacy law. We can't do that, you know. Uh, like, for instance, we have the power, me and you and everybody, to scrape Facebook, grab names and faces and build a gigantic, you know, Azure SQL data warehouse of names and faces and recognize them in store anywhere. We absolutely have the power to do that. Privacy law says we can't do that. Thank God. Right. I, I don't want I don't want mm -hmm. somebody scraping my face off the Internet and. I don't want to be recognized in, well, I'm not much of a shopper, but if I went into a Cabela's, actually, that's, if I went into a Cabela's, Ed, do you know what a Cabela's is? Okay, yes, you're yes, one of the few people in our industry that know what a Cabela's <laughs> is. But if I go into a Cabela's, I actually would love to be recognized, and I would love my phone to light up with all the cool deals and fly fishing stuff. That That's a use case that I would sign in for. I totally would. But in a... I don't know, a grocery store. I, I don't want to be tracked and recognized when my wife's not looking and I'm grabbing ice cream or something like that. Right. <laughs> I don't want to be narked on by Vons or Safeway. Yeah. See, that's the, that's the, the fine line that we have to figure out is what the benefit is versus the cost of your privacy. Like what are you getting in return uh, for the privacy you've that given up? That is exactly the point, Ed. You hit it right on the nail. And typically we would use that in an opt-in scenario, meaning a, a great use case is, you know, I travel constantly. So I have um, United Club privileges at the airports. Um, and I want to be recognized when I walk into the club. Because I don't want to wait in line for all the people arguing to get into the club because I'm legit and I'm allowed in the club. Right. I would love to just avoid the big line, get recognized and authorized to go in. I would opt in to do that in a heartbeat. That is a legitimate use case for facial recognition. And uh, I think we're we're kind of scaring people <laughs> and, and uh, probably uh, giving them the, the idea that all this stuff is creepy. Well, so, yeah, definitely my demographic, Ed, that, sorry, sorry to step on you, but my demographic, as I pointed out before, the, the old white guy demographic, which, you know, the get off my lawn demographic are, are extremely resistant to all this. But that millennial demographic embraces it. These digital natives, you know, they've grown up, they've grown up on, their smartphones and they absolutely embrace it. And I think in 10 years, this isn't even a discussion. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's something that that's pretty unstoppable really. Um, there's, there's some non-technical people I know I may or may not be married to that person, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but uh, they, they don't like this stuff either in uh, even being of a younger generation. Don't really care for all, all the stuff that's happening, but the, you know, the little ones, uh, my, my kids are, 
between the ages of eight and 20 years old, um, they all are, you know, they could care less or they enjoy like all the yeah, stuff that's happening. So, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're the future buyers and money, money steers everything in all these industries. So it's, it's going to be what they want, not what, <laughs> not what the older generations exactly. want. <laughs> So I, I think we steered off in a, in kind of a, a dark direction. What what kind of wonderful and positive things are, are you working <laughs> on uh, in regards to like object recognition and and well, uh, well and you know in, in, in computer vision, yeah, we 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 veered off into the dystopian view of computers taking off the world. But you know, we're I, I, this is going to be I think Sat, in Satya's keynote um, it builds. So I can't tell you exactly what it is. But with all this power mm-hmm. we have in computer vision, um, one might speculate that we could look at X-rays, MRIs, um, uh, prenatal scans, and do some predictive analysis on what we see. The one we're working on, and it's a hugely challenging problem, is the. I, I think I could just tell you it's the. I can't tell you the company, but. We're, we're working on stroke prevention, uh, taking analysis, doing analysis of brain scans and finding the markers. Um, that, that's a bad word. I'm so not a healthcare guy, but we're, we're looking for the, the causes of stroke. And it's a tricky problem because every human is different and it's a 3D problem. You can't look at it in a 2D way. So you have to you have to get like a number of frames in a 3D way of the X-ray or MRI and, you know, come out with, you know, I'm 20 percent. The computer is 27 percent confident. This is blah, 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 blah. Medical condition, which is one of the cause of a stroke. It's crazy technical. Hmm. And are are these markers that's uh, something that that could detect a stroke how how far down the road i mean is this detecting it within you know months days yeah, so there's, hours? there's two two points there it's it's important not to say detect because we're we're never going to replace doctors right we're just providing tools for mm-hmm. diagnosis and yes this could be months because a lot of this is genetic right this could be years in advance, months mm-hmm. in advance. It could be caught in a daily checkup. And it's simply a tool for a doctor that would fire an event that says, hey, look at this. We're 27% confident that this could be a stroke, you know, that type of thing. And that would get the doctor to look. So that's one of the crazy high tech. And that's all That's all machine learning, Ed. That's That's – multiple classifiers and models and it's it's a big project the company i work for uh progress and a lot of listeners know us as telerik uh we we acquired a machine learning company about a year or two ago uh called data rpm and uh one of the one of the projects that they worked on was for jaguar jaguar the car company. So what it, what we were able to do is anomaly detection on the engine. So we know what the normal running conditions are. So when those things go outside of those normal running conditions, we can email um, a service department or something to contact you and tell you you're, you know, bring your car in because there's an imminent breakdown in the future. Fascinating. You know, but you know, I, Ed, do, I have a 10 year old truck Actually, I think it's 11-year-old. It's a Toyota Tundra. And in California, our our emission standards are pretty high, right? Because there's so many freaking cars there. Well, I took it in for this advanced smog thing about six months ago. And the machine they hook up to it provides all this analysis. I think that's what you're talking about. And the mechanic that did my smog said... Your engine is going to run is in perfect condition. It's going to run for another 150, probably 200,000 miles before you have any major service done on it. And I thought like, God, what a perfect model for machine learning. If we could take the output of this engine analysis thing, and it sounds like that's exactly what you guys are doing. So good for you. That's awesome. Yeah, it just reminded me of what you're saying because, like, we're doing it for a piece of equipment, which is 
obviously much less technical than the human body. So seeing it kind of ramp up into the uh, healthcare area and being able to detect things um, on the brain or with your body chemistry and all that stuff, that's, that's taking it to a whole new level. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's our future. That's, that's healthcare in, you know, 10, five, 10, totally, 20 years. Totally. And it, so, and that segues perfectly into another great use case for computer vision. Shoot, I could talk about computer vision all day, but my personal challenge over the last six months, and a lot of it is a result of the massacre that was at Mandalay Bay, um, is the classifier for weapon recognition. So one of my companies, Visibility, does interactive digital signage, and we use computer vision for audience measurement and a number of things. But we're also looking for the bad guy and doing amber alerts and things like that with common cameras, you know, $10, $20 cameras, little webcam Mm -hmm. type things. And like I said earlier, facial recognition is a solved problem. So if we've got a good database of uh, the classified in machine learning of bad guys, we, we can get awesome confidences in recognizing them, whether they're wearing a hat or sunglasses or occluded or whatever. We, we do a pretty good job in that. But the latest thing I've been working on, and I don't mind telling you guys, um, is I've been working on a classifier for weapon recognition. And the meaning, if someone brand, brandishes a weapon, we're, we're going to catch it and send an event to the security people that says, I'm 34% confident that that person is holding an AR-15 at location X, you know, and that'll get security people to look at the surveillance camera, the screen. Because what happened of Mandalay could have been prevented. That guy, that crazy guy was loading weapons under common surveillance cameras. It's just humans missed it. So if we have computers looking, computers don't typically miss anything, right? And it would help augment the security process if we could just send a little event up to the security people to get them to look further or to, to um, you know, go to the location and see what's going on. So, but, but weapons, that, that's a huge classifier. That's Oh, God, think about through time, you know, back to the Civil War, that's 250,000 different weapons. So that's a machine learning challenge that is a little bit overwhelming. And we might settle for the top 50 weapons. I'm not a weapons guy, but I think AR-15 is one of the, the, the weapons that bad guys use. It's not like a hunting weapon. It's, it's literally a, a, a human killing machine. But um, wouldn't it be an awesome world where through common digital signage and just cameras, we could be looking for the bad guy. We, we could have prevented that Mandalay Bay thing. And that's where I'm going with with that visibility company. It's going to be doing that, doing that. We've done pilots in the NFL. We're in NASCAR now, meaning in big stadiums, you know, we're, we're helping the security process. And we'll be in Major League Baseball next year and the NBA, I'm told, and, you know, just big oh, – oh, and a lot of entertainers too. I can't name them. But suffice it to say, the, the world's most famous pop star – female who, who, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's pretty exciting. That's software, you know, that has an ethical value to it. Those are, those are projects that are fun. Yeah. And I like one, one thing that you've mentioned throughout several of these, uh, ideas or products, um, is they're, they're not replacing human exactly. like, interaction in all of these models. They, make things either easier or provide more data or, you know, give you a signal, uh, for somebody to take action. A a lot of times you start talking about machine learning or AI or any of this stuff, people fear their jobs are going almost every conversation I have. And and I have to make this point over and over. We're not replacing doctors. We're not replacing security people. We're not replacing humans at any level. We're just providing tools that'll help them make their jobs better. Yeah, I, th- I think we see this a lot in, um, you know, like you said, we're, we're just giving people more tools to do their jobs more efficiently. Uh, and it may even open up more, you know, careers in other places. I'm sure there's going to be, you know, a case or two where these things do take a job away, but it, 
it seems to me that they're opening up opportunities elsewhere too. Absolutely. So I, I heard that you're doing some work with Hollywood as well. Probably because I told. Is that is that a true statement? <laughs> yeah, uh, the last uh, the last year of my life, maybe a year and a half, has been interesting. You know, I live in um, Carlsbad, California, which is just north of San Diego, but uh, I'm having to drive down to L.A. a lot, which is a complete hassle. Those are like that. That's like the hardest ninety miles in the world, <laughs> but it, the opportunity has been fun. So, uh, uh, I'm running around with uh, a lot of the producer director, like the business part of Hollywood, a couple things have manifested, um, that are exciting about a year ago. I was, um, Oh God, it, it's a long story, but th- some of these people from imagination park entertainment, which is one of those giant, Hollywood entertainment companies that produces a lot of movies that you've seen. Um, one of their, or their founder was in one of my audiences and we got to talking afterwards and we just hit it off. It manifested in a joint venture. I don't need to get into corporate structure on this podcast, but, uh, we did a joint venture between Internology and, um, and in imagination park entertainment. And that company is called Xeno holographic Xeno holographic is equally as exciting as anything I've talked about today because it's building AR augmented reality an AR platform in the cloud in Azure, which, which is really hard to do because AR objects are so heavyweight and it's doing it with uh, an artificial intelligence tint to it. What does that manifest in? That manifests in you walking around with your smartphone and pointing it at something and having having your phone do the computer vision thing to recognize an object and give you an AR experience. And that AR experience might be simple 3D. It might be a 3D coupon. It might be getting points that are aggregated on a blockchain so that you could get a free T-shirt at a at a concert or sporting event or things like that. We have some IP that is um, that I don't know if you know my, my uh, right hand man, Rodney Guzman, the head technical guy at Internology, but he championed something that we figured out how to build. And it's basically rendering 3d objects and getting them down to the phone in a real time, meaning most AR applications, like Pokemon Go, for instance, the the objects are compiled into mm-hmm. the app. If if you or your your listeners know anything about AR, they typically you stumble upon Unity, and and Unity is a is is a really easy way to get started in AR and in 3D. And you compile an object into your app, and boom, you've got a you know a spinning object, something like that. Well, we've built a player for HoloLens and some other glasses, but also for the phones that um, basically pulls these ob- converts these objects in real time and pulls them down to the phone. That is crazy technical, and that's probably why that company is just going to skyrocket. We've already signed a number of deals, and the company's fairly fairly new, just brand new. It's in, still in startup mode, but we've inked some huge deals for sporting events and concerts and and things like that for people to get an AR experience and not have to go to the app store to download a new version every time there's a new AR experience. Where I'm targeting this thing to go, and we are a long way from it, I should be totally honest with you, but there are some worldwide sporting events coming up next year. I would love to be able to point your phone at an athlete while they're running or skating or playing hockey or basketball or whatever, and have that AR experience appear in real time above that athlete. That's some computer vision that's going to be a little tricky to do, but that's what we're, that's what we're running towards. That's funny. I've actually used a similar analogy to even explain what augmented reality is to people that aren't very technical. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned to them, you know how you watch like uh NFL game on TV and they're drawing the first down line like over the field yet the players are able to pass right. over it 
and those type of things. So imagine going to a live sporting event and putting on a pair of glasses and being able exactly. to see those things or, in real time. Or like, sitting in front of your TV about. watching that football game and going, who is that guy, number 21, and just pointing your phone at the TV and it explodes an experience, an AR experience around him that tells you everything you'd ever want to know about that athlete, including his name. That that's what we're running towards, um, and that that would be a, an awesome experience. That's an that's an AR experience that's a value add. You know, some of this stuff is hokey, for sure, but when you give people more information, especially information that they want, they desperately crave, like who is that? <laughs> you just you know you can't remember. Like in soccer, you can't know all these people, especially in the English Premier League for for an American. I can't remember everybody's name and who they are. That's a, a legitimate experience. And, and that's, that's an exciting company, Zeno Holographic. It's got some really smart business people and um, famous people. And, and then of course the internology technology people in it. I've got another, if you have time, I've got another Hollywood project that is, that is equally exciting. I forgot to ask you, how long are we going on this thing? Because if you let me, I'll talk forever. Uh, let, let me let me tell you about this one. <laughs> the, this one, this is interesting. I was at an event. Um, I can't remember the event, but I got introduced to one of Hollywood's biggest producer people. And her name is Geneva Wasserman. And, um, and Geneva and I got to talking and, and she says, well, I have this problem. I, I, I don't think I can name the movie. It's because it, it's coming out summer of 2019. I have this problem that we've already shot the movie and we have an actor that is up there in years. And I just feel like we need to minimize his role in the movie. Does that make sense? So the way Hollywood works is right. They shoot a movie a year, maybe two years in advance. And then it's a it's an editing dance to how they cut the movie to way it finally comes out. And they use this concept of um, previews. You know, they get, they grab random people off the street and they give them a hundred dollars or $50 or $10, whatever it is. And they have them watch the movie. And then the people talk about the movie and they, they try to manually grab sentiment from it so that they can recut the movie. So it could be more effective. That's Hollywood's been doing this for 75 years. And the, the problem is, as Geneva described it, is we grab people from a five mile radius of the studio in Hollywood, and it's just not a good sample. And it's typically people. Yeah, it's typically it people that do legit. it over and over and over again. <laughs> and she said, she said, Tim, with all this computer vision stuff that you guys do, it would be great if we could do the preview process worldwide and do it securely and have your computer vision talk technology watch people watch the movie. And instead of having to talk to them, you get their emotional profile and you map it across frames of the movie. And, and then we have this portal view of, you know, the sentiment across scenes. And that would give us the tools to minimize the, you know, some of these actors or minimize, um, you know, different places in the scenes or maximize where people are supposed to be scared or where people be happy, blah, 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 blah. So I said, yes, yeah, shoot, we could build that. And we did. <laughs> so we built a, a movie sentiment analysis um, application. It's kind of a three headed monster. The, the client uh, runs in Win 10 UWP. And it uses the Windows Hello API to do the facial recognition to get you authorization to watch the movie. Um, and it, it has firewall rules, so it's protected that way. It has custom vision or object recognition. So if someone comes from behind you and has a camera in their hand, meaning they're trying to film the movie, um, for to, it does that type of fraud detection. It pauses and says, I see a camera. You know that you know the rules. You can't film this movie. If someone else comes up from behind and looks over your show, shoulder, it pauses and says, only one person is authorized to see this movie, and it's you, Tim. So I don't know who's behind you, but we're going to pause. You know, this is all configurable. You, you know what I mean? 
So, and then it just looks at an emotional profile and in a number of things. It, it's it's watching how engaged you are when you look away. Um, an emotional profile from happiness to sadness to content to surprise and everything in between. And it's building this big Azure database of sentiment over numerous people watching the movie. And then that is the, that, that's the, the inputs. The outputs for Hollywood are a couple things. One, uh, the sentiment is visualized in Power BI, you know, pretty pictures tell, tell a thousand words. And the really cool thing is the, the cognitive team at Microsoft has this tool called videoindexer.ai. Videoindexer, one word, .ai. It's the most awesome tool that no one knows about. And we use that tool to map sentiment across the movie in real time. So you watch the movie, it's pulled out all the, the metadata out of it, the actors' names it pulls out, the, you know, every time there's, I don't know, mountains or rivers or nature, the, the, the demo I do is with a movie called A River Runs Through It, and that's a famous fly fishing movie. So it pulls all that data out of there. It pulls Robert Redford and, and Brad Pitt, who are the actors in that movie. But it also shows you a real-time graph of sentiment. So, like, there's really sad parts in the movie, and the the, the graph, you know, goes re really deep into sadness during that part. And then there's, you know, humorous parts, so you have that in there. And uh, these people are so pleased in Hollywood by this little proof of concept we did that they're taking it big time. It's, it's going to be a full-on company. And um, it's all audience measurement, and it's kind of funny. It, it all spurned from a conversation I had with a producer who said, I have this problem, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's something that uh, is definitely bleeding edge. I've never heard cool? yeah. a use case like that before. Um, I've heard... Yeah, I've heard some, some of these things being kind of used in a silo, but never on a scale that you mentioned. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah. When I, when I uh, initially heard, heard your uh, idea about sentiment analysis in Hollywood, I, I thought you were just doing uh, Ed as a service and you're just going to, you know, send me movies and, and let me <laughs> no, tell you how bad it is. Watching people watch movies. <laughs> yeah. I'll be an API call. <laughs> Uh, very cool stuff. Um, so are you a big fan of the whole HoloLens thing then with, um, you know, us talking about a lot of augmented reality? Uh, have you have you had a chance to really sit down and play with that device? So we're going to we're going to end this on the negative, aren't we, Ed? <laughs> the, the HoloLens, uh, HoloLens is like the most magical device in the history of the universe. And yeah, we were lucky. Internology got the first prototype devices um, years ago uh, and immediately started building software for them. And we have. We continue to build software for the HoloLens. It, it is if, – if, have you ever worn, worn one of these devices, Ed? Uh, yeah, I had one for about six months. Okay, so you know, you know, but not everybody I, has, yeah, has had the privilege to wear one of these devices. You know how amazing this device is. It, it has the bold potential for interactive holographic. Like it has the bold potential. I'm a sports guy. I'm from, you know, I live in San Diego and Tony Gwynn is a famous baseball player that died of cancer. It has the potential to do a holog interactive hologram of Tony Gwynn and, and you being able to have a conversation with him and, and, and through AI say, hey, Tony, sit down at the conference table and please talk to me. And Tony would walk across the room and have cognizance of the chair because it has this spatial mapping technology that is unparalleled. And he would sit in the chair and you would just start talking. That is a bold potential. My frustrations with that team or they, they released that magical prototype over two years ago, pro prototype device um, with its programming platform, basically in unity. And then they went dark. We, we have not heard for them in over two years. They have not released a production device. We don't know what it's going to cost. It, it's gotta be, it's gotta mm -hmm. be, you know, inexpensive enough to attack a consumer market in my 
opinion. Microsoft may disagree. Microsoft may say, nope, $3,000 is what the device is going to be, and that's the market we're targeting. But I, I think it needs to be Xbox priced. Um, and, and then there's that Unity thing. <laughs> so Microsoft basically took a dependency on Unity. Unity has been called the VB6 of 3D. Let me say that again. Oh, no. <laughs> Unity <laughs> has been called the VB6 of 3D. So it's oh, really boy. simple to do simple things in Unity. But to do real engineering challenges like we're doing at Xeno Holographic, man, it's, it takes some feats of God to do some of that stuff. Now, you could argue that, okay, just do it in DirectX. And Internology, absolutely most of the HoloLens app applications we build are, are in DirectX just because, you know, there's just so much power over there. But not everybody can do DirectX. That's not for the faint of heart. That takes real engineering. And, and there's just no. this giant chasm between Unity, which, by the way, they're a separate company not owned by Microsoft. So every time they release something, it breaks everything in HoloLens. And... And there's this chasm between that and DirectX, and it just seems like we need a C sharpy type of runtime to sit in the middle to to accommodate you know most of the developers of the world, and it's just not there yet. And maybe they're planning on doing that. I hope they are. I've certainly whined about it enough that they've heard it loud and clear in Redmond. So um, you know, it, it's it's just with something so good like that Hololens device. It's easy to fo focus on some of the negatives, and, and um, there are some negatives there. It's not perfect for sure. Yeah, I've never done any dev directly against it, so I'm not too familiar with how good or bad Unity operates in it. But I agree, the price point needs to be figured out. And hopefully, you know, with Build coming up, they announce something around any of this in general um i'd love to see a new device that's uh smaller fixes a couple of the quirks it has and and is more affordable um right now at three thousand bucks i mean you're looking at only university and industry uh, you know heavy manufacturing you know big big dollar industries picking these things up for um certain use cases it's not something that's going to enter people's homes at a three thousand dollar price right, tag, I exactly. Mean, that's for a lot of people in the United States. That's like how much their car is worth. Like you're not going to go drop three G's on a right. on a tech me device. You, Ed, we um, you know we can whine. Where well, I'm, I'm whining, but we we can complain or, or point out these problems till the cows come home. Ultimately, this is Microsoft's decision. But I sure would love them to do what they did with the Xbox. When the, remember when the Xbox first came out. They took a huge loss on the hardware. Um, they were losing money, like a lot of money on the hardware, hoping to make it up in the software, the games. And they did. Xbox is a multi-billion dollar industry now because they took that business tactic of selling hardware at a loss. I would love Microsoft to sell that HoloLens device at a, at a loss, get some adoption and um, make it up in the software. That would be an, an awesome world to live in. But, you know, time will tell. We'll see. Yeah, adoption's a huge deal, too. I mean, just look at what happened to the Kinect, right? Uh, it was one of the most underutilized devices, I think, uh, that came out of the, the whole Xbox division. And I think the biggest problem was they they had to make some money on it. Um, so, you know, it boosted the price of the, the unit up, uh, for the Xbox by a hundred bucks and, uh, Sony undercut yep. the hell out of them because of it. And then they decided it was going to be an optional peripheral. And the minute they decided to make that thing optional was the death. And there were plenty of internal emails at Microsoft that I saw about that complaining about that very thing. Yeah. It's a shame. Internology could arguably be called the company that built the most applications for the Connect for Windows. It was a magical device, but you're right; it was 250 bucks, you know. And 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 uh, well, the good news is is that whole brilliant team moved over to Hololens. So a lot of that Connect technology lives in the Hololens mm -hmm. team, and those brilliant people live in the Hololens team. But yeah, that's a dead device. It's no longer supported or sold. In fact, someone told me the other day that there's this. Um, 
there's the, the they're selling for more than two hundred fifty dollars on eBay because they're turning into unicorns. Yeah, funny. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it, you know that's that's the thing with these type of devices, though. There, there's two real. I mean, there's more more than enough ways to kill a piece of hardware, but two of the big ones are a. It's an optional item, so developers don't know if they can support it, so they don't. Or B, it's really expensive, so software developers don't support it because it's it's limited in its audience. So those are two things that can really kill totally. some hardware tech fast. So hopefully they, they do something with the HoloLens to uh, stop that from happening. Right now, I think it's in a... Well, for the past few years, it's been in a safe spot because there's just literally nothing else like it. Uh, but that's... That could change. And it will change. And, the, the and that's years. good. Competition and, is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that'll accelerate some kind of decision being made or, or uh, something, some kind of breakthrough to make that happen. Uh, so one, one more question about the HoloLens since we're already on the subject. It, it, you've used one uh, quite frequently, it sounds like. Um, there's a phenomenon that happens when you use AR a lot and I, I, there's not a whole lot of people that use AR a lot. So it's hard to find other people to, to kind of bounce this idea off of, have you ever taken the HoloLens off knowingly taken it off? And then you're standing in the room and you go to look for something that is in the augmented world and it's not there. Well, you follow me. I, I there there are a couple interesting scenarios in just in three D and generic in generically that happen. But yeah, there are some some use cases where you know if you're if you're wearing that Hololens for four hours and and you know the field of vision in the Hololens is not 180 degrees because they need to get four hours of battery. That's a design decision. But yeah, if you're wearing that HoloLens for four hours and you've had, I don't know, some bit of information in 3D sitting there for a long time and you've referenced it a long time, you absolutely can get lost. Um, take the device on, look over there and say, oh, wait, I don't have the device on anymore. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I caught myself doing that, I was like, oh my God, this is weird. Like I just looked for a object that i know is not a physical object but i just looked for it in the room without the device i need to see it and it's like a weird phantom limb situation where your brain has learned like a new tool or a new uh sense and then you've taken it away and then all of a sudden you're yeah. looking for these things that don't exist in real life and it's just a it's a weird place to be in and it like like we were talking about, not too many people have experienced the HoloLens, and especially on an extended period. Like people demo them at build, you know, they wear them for ten minutes, and that's that's it. But when you have it on for an extended period of time, yeah, yeah. like and, odd things and, start to happen. You know, as AR becomes more prevalent, we're going to see these anomalies. The other anomaly that fascinates me, just because I'm into science, is there's a small percentage. I can't remember what it is. Three percent of the world that cannot see 3D. And, and 3D, a human sees 3D basically because we're tricking, you know, the, the, way, the way people see. Uh, you're either right eye dominant or left eye dominant, typically. Well, 97% of the world is. And that 97% can be tricked into seeing this 3D. But if you put a HoloLens on someone who's double eye dominant, they can't see 3D. And I, I've, I've done this before. There's been someone in our office who's come in and says, and says to me, well, I, I can't see 3D. So, you know, I can wear the HoloLens, but I won't be able to experience anything. I'm like, oh, come on, BS. And <laughs> just to appease me, put on the device and said, yeah, I can't see anything. I don't know what you're talking about. That space man you're talking about, I don't see it. So, which is interesting, really interesting. So I, I think I think the, the way... The human eye, um, the more we learn about the human eye, and we don't know hardly anything about the human eye, but the more we learn, the better the AR experiences are going to be, um, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an exciting space. Um, I've been talking about it for years, and we're just starting to see 
like the the edge of that hockey stick. I mean, this stuff is seriously going to take off in a big way. If you think it's big now, uh, folks who are listening, uh, I think the next couple of years is really going to blow your mind because there's a lot of stuff on the horizon and this, this stuff is nowhere near a plateau. Uh, it's just going to keep getting more and more uh, involved in our lives and devices are coming and yeah, software is right. coming. That's a great way to end this because that's the way we started this. We tend to always say this, but it's a just a great time to be a developer. <laughs> Absolutely. And Tim, uh, where can we find you? And, and um, are you writing blogs uh, on Twitter, those sorts of things? Where, where can we find more out about what you're doing? Yeah. Well, other than, you know, me speaking at conferences constantly like dev Inter i'm speaking of dev doing a keynote the ai keynote the opening keynote uh at dev intersection next week um i go sunday night and then scott guthrie goes bright bright and early at 8 a.m i believe on monday morning other than that my twitter is tim huckabee at tim huckabee uh tim huckabee.com you'll find a lot of stuff that i do including the fly fishing stuff in addition to the technology stuff but i'm easily trackable <laughs> easy Ed. to find and uh very approachable I, I appreciate you being on the show uh we've had some great one-on-ones as well and uh it, it's great to be able to to talk to somebody who's had such a uh a long career in the industry and uh, a great outlook on what's coming in the future so i appreciate you being on the show Absolutely. My pleasure, Ed. Always, always and, a pleasure uh, if, to talk to you. If you guys are interested in some of this stuff for your own development purposes, uh, there's a lot of cool um, AR, or sorry, a lot of cool machine learning and uh, cognitive services stuff on the Azure uh, platform. And you can use a lot of that um, Azure uh, machine learning algorithms with uh, our mobile uh, framework called NativeScript. We have demos out on uh, nativescript.org of how to do some machine learning stuff with it. And as well, we have some augmented reality things that you can do with NativeScript on your mobile device. So check those out at nativescript.org. 